presented by Business Roundtable. Hey, good morning. I'm Playbook Editor Mike DeBonis. It's Wednesday, October 18th, and what's driving the day is that we are on day 16, 16 with no elected Speaker of the House. More on that in a moment. But first, some tragic news out of the tragic situation in the Middle East. Hundreds were reported dead in a blast yesterday at a hospital in Gaza City. What exactly happened is under dispute. Palestinian officials blamed an Israeli bombing, while the Israel Defense Force said it was a misfired rocket from Palestinian militants. What we do know is that the incident has prompted the cancellation of part of President Joe Biden's trip to the region, a visit to Jordan, where he was scheduled to meet with King Abdullah, President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi of Egypt, and Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian National Authority. That is now not happening, but Biden remains en route to Tel Aviv, where he's expected to meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and other Israeli officials. Now, closer to home, world events are hanging over the paralysis in the House, but they haven't done much to move them forward. Joining me now to discuss the latest is senior Washington correspondent and Playbook co-author Rachel Bain. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Big day yesterday. So walk us through what happened. And I have to know, what was the most surprising thing to you? Ugh, what happened? Jim Jordan had a bad day. I mean, he went in there thinking that potentially he would lose on the first ballot. We were hearing from Jordan allies the night before this vote that they weren't sure if they were going to get there on the first ballot, but they thought they were going to hold their defections to a small number and that they would go quickly to a second ballot, pressure the remaining holdouts to get in line, and that he would ultimately be speaker by the end of the day. Well, that obviously didn't happen. Right. The thinking was like, so there's this group of people who don't like Jim Jordan, but they're going to blow off some steam on the first vote and that'll be that and we'll all hold hands and get along, right? Right. Well, he lost 20 votes, and that was a lot more than they thought. And, you know, I think this whole theory they had that folks would get in line after the first protest vote, that might have actually held if the defections were a lot smaller and the pressure was focused on just a couple of people. But 20 is a huge number for him to overcome. And obviously, the most surprising thing from you know where I sit, and I'm sure you agree with this, Mike, is how many moderate Republicans, uh, centrist Republicans, actually held the line on this. I mean, these are lawmakers who are called squishes by their own GOP colleagues, and for a good reason. I mean, for years, they have been just bulldozed over by conservatives on strategy, on policy priorities. And this week, they actually grew a spine and said no, and and not just in a small number, in a quite significant number that might have tanked Jordan's bid for speaker permanently. I think it's worth pausing here. And, you know, these members that we call moderates, you know, we call them moderates, not out of ideology. A lot of these members are, are very conservative Republicans. They're moderate in terms of their sort of outlook and their tactics and the way they operate in the House. These are people who are willing to sit down and cut deals, talk to, across the aisle. But that's also the part of their personality that makes them susceptible to pressure campaigns like this. Usually they fold, right, Rachel? Yeah. I mean, they don't like chaos. They want to govern. They want to get stuff done. And I mean, 
It was shocking to hear Kay Granger, the appropriations chair, call out Steve Scalise's name instead of Jim Jordan's. And it wasn't just her. It was a number of cardinals on the appropriations panel, Steve Womack, Mike Simpson. These are guys who, you know, they want to move forward. They don't like gridlock. I mean, call this sweet revenge, I guess, because they've been getting jerked around by Jordan and his allies on spending issues for years, even though they technically have jurisdiction over appropriations matters. Often they would have to cater to the far right. And they just said, no, they're not going to do it. Right. The, the other thing I would point out is, you know, there's a number of these members who are big defense hawks, particularly you've got a couple veterans in Jake Elsey of Texas, Jen Kiggins from Virginia. These are younger members, but they've served in the armed forces and they just don't like what Jim Jordan is saying. They don't trust him to fund the national defense. And that's something that's really uh, sort of raised an eyebrow on, on my part in terms of this isn't just the old bull appropriators. There's you know actually quite a diverse group here. Right. Yesterday, after he lost 20 Republicans, he started meeting with folks and he did flip one person, Doug LaMaffa from California, uh, who is now going to back him in a second ballot. But I mean, it looks increasingly like he's not going to get there if he can't show significant momentum by 11 o'clock this morning, which is when they're going to have that second ballot. And I mean, we should also mention that the people who have not voted for him actually seem even more dug in now than they were yesterday. People are sick of getting hounded by constituents. Uh, Don Bacon told our colleague Olivia Beavers that his wife was getting a bunch of text messages saying you need to pressure your husband to change his mind. Even though Jordan's team is projecting optimism right now, you're starting to see them flail. They wanted to have a second vote last night at 6 p.m. They ended up canceling that. They also seemed to be leaking a number of details from a pretty tense conversation Jordan had with Steve Scalise after this vote, where, according to Jordan allies, Scalise basically refused to help him whip votes and give a nominating speech. Now, the Scalise people are pushing back on this, but it just shows the finger pointing is happening right now. And it's not a good look for Jordan. It looks like they're really flailing. So do you think, is it just a matter of simple arithmetic? If he loses more than 20 votes on this next vote, it's over. And if he shows some momentum, he can keep going. Is that what it comes down to? Yeah, I think he's going to have to show more than just flipping one vote. He's definitely got to flip a few because if he doesn't get there, if he doesn't show you know, significant momentum, you're going to see even more Republicans who don't frankly want him to be speaker, but are voting for him because of the pressure from constituents. They're going to start to flake and say to people back home, look, I voted for him, but the conference wasn't there. It's time to move on. So let's talk about plan. Well, I don't want to say plan B's, uh, plan D's, E's, F's, <laughs> <Yeah>. H's, <laughs> V's, W's. Yeah, no kidding. What uh, what happens next if Jim Jordan is forced to withdraw? Well, there are a lot of Republicans who are talking more and more about empowering Patrick McHenry, who's currently the acting speaker. Right now, McHenry believes he can only oversee a speakership election, but technically any lawmaker can force a vote to give him more authority. And it would take, again, 217 lawmakers to do that. There will be a band of conservatives who probably will never go for this because they think Patrick McHenry is just, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy 2.0. But if some Democrats are interested in this, and Hakeem Jeffries certainly has signaled that he is, there could actually be a bipartisan coalition uh, to give McHenry authority to move spending bills, take up, you know, a package that gives Israel more aid, maybe Ukraine aid. And we'll, we'll just have to see if that actually, you know, moves forward. 
this whole, you know, there's been this sort of background chatter about the bipartisan governing coalition. Has that gotten any more closer to the realm of reality in the last 24 hours, you think? Well, I think if they do give McHenry power, Democrats aren't going to do this for free. And so it might be a temporary coalition of sorts, but that basically is a coalition government there. I mean, Democrats are going to want Republicans to keep to the original deal that the White House struck with Kevin McCarthy at certain spending levels. Republicans have gone back on their word on that. I'm sure they're going to hold them to it. What other things are they going to demand for basically letting the House reopen and start to actually work again? They're not going to do this for free. Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you. And for your schedule today, the House will once again try to elect a new speaker at 11 a.m. The Senate is also in. Keep an eye also on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, where former Treasury Secretary Jack Lew will testify at 10.30 a.m. to be the next ambassador to Israel. President Biden will land in Israel this morning for a round of meetings before he departs to return to Washington later tonight. I'm Mike DeBonis. Thanks for listening. America's status as the global leader in innovation is at risk. Key tax incentives for investment in the U.S. are being phased out, while other countries double down on domestic investment. Unless Congress fully reverses these tax increases on U.S. job creators, American businesses and workers will be at a competitive disadvantage. Congress, it's time to support American jobs and innovation. Restore essential business tax incentives. Learn more at BRT.org.